Hello there, I'm Kiosa Ronin Beatmaker, and welcome to Lounge Ronin, all things, everything. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on social media, on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at RoninArt underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at RoninArtAndMusic09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review, and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, Please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. Hello there, I'm Kiel Soron and Beatmaker, and welcome to Lounge Ronin, all things, everything. And on this episode, we're going to discuss the dynastic race, part two, and I highly recommend that while you're here, you make sure to hit that like button. Subscribe if you're new to the channel. And leave a comment with your thoughts below. Now, I did do a previous live stream regarding the dynastic race. And I highly recommend, if you haven't checked that one out, to give it a listen to after this one. We'll do a quick overview uh, prior to jumping into part two, but it will be a brief, brief overview. All right, now without further ado, Let's get right into it. The dynastic race and the biblical Joseph part two. Written by, let's see, we got the author on here. Written by Alexander Jacob. In part one, the author pieced together the possible genealogy to be found in Mesopotamia and Egypt, 
taking as his stand, taking as his starting point the biblical account of human developments in the region after the deluge, which, of course, begins with Noah and his family. Part one concluded with the assertion that a new race referred to as a dynastic race was evident in the region. Further clues to the uh, anthology of the race can be found. Question. Weaker folk links. Since the physical character of the new race detected among the early Mesopotamians and Egyptians is not typically nomadic, but rather Japhatic, we may reasonably inquire whether these newcomers might not be related to the Beaker folk who were widely dispersed in Europe as well as in North Africa in the late Calolithic era, corresponding to Nubi III, 2900 to 1800 BC. The Beaker folk are a brachycephalic and interfered in a con contracted position in graves aligned in north-south north axis rather than the east-west axis, followed by the roughly um, contemporaneous <laughs> hoarded wear folk. Whew, that was quite the sentence. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. <laughs> They seem to have been effective traders as well as warriors. The graves of the latter being especially richly supplied with funerary goods. Cremations too were performed by this community, but these may have been reserved for the upper classes or castes. Cremations in Moraria are seen to be especially furnished with beakers. Interesting. So, you know, it's what I find kind of interesting about this is this idea. And if you haven't checked out my live stream where I talk about how the um, every president is blood related and descended from a European elongated skull bloodline. Um, I don't want to spoil too much in that video, but uh in that live stream. And I also do have clips that you can check out as well. But, you know, there is the the um, Cornwall Museum uh, in the UK in their um, archives. Their um, archaeologists, uh, philanthropists, you know, they have confirmed that there was at one point an entire separate humanoid species. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I highly recommend you check out uh, um, that live stream or the clips. But what's interesting about it is that, you know, we we tend to, in, in my opinion, doing my own personal research and just kind of listening to various scholars and researchers, there there seems to be, you know, and Graham Hancock has, you know, coined that phrase, 
you know, we are a species with amnesia. And I, I think, you know, to add to that, you know, we're a species with amnesia who also has kind of forgotten our uh, relatives, you know, sibling species, relative species to our own. And, you know, there there seems to be some very corroborating evidence to prove that. Whether or not you believe it, that's for you to make your own decision. I'm not here to tell you how to think or how to feel. I'm just here to present information, give you my thoughts and perspectives, and, you know, let you make your own decisions from there. But, you know, I just think, you know, it's kind of foolish for us to, to think that that we are the only human species, this version, that has been on this planet when there is you know, a plethora of ancient and biblical texts that discuss many other uh, species of humans. And on top of that, you look at um, ancient folklore from hunter-gathering tribes. Uh, they have very similar stories. It's all, it's all there. It's just more of you, it's much more of kind of like being willing to be open to that idea, not necessarily believing it wholeheartedly, but just being open to the idea. And I think this is what's, you know, very interesting about, you know, when you look back into the previous, you know, races of humanity, I tend to go from, well, not necessarily race, whether it's like, are they from Egypt or, you know, Europe or, you know, South America, but more of like, what race of humans are we interpreting or are we interacting with? So just something to keep in mind. You do your own research into these kind of uh, stories and, uh, and ancient texts and what have you. Okay. Here. And this is part of the reason why I, you know, wanted to say all that stuff is because we're going to start getting into some things here that um, correspond with what I was talking about, a separate humanoid species in relations to skulls. The brachiocephalic heads are wide and flat, represented here by skull C. Interesting. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gents, keep in mind, right? It's we go all the way back up here. You know, we're talking about a a a, a civilization that were effective traders and warriors, but we're going down, there's a completely different skull structure to A and B. So I just want you to keep in mind as to why, just keep in mind what I said earlier about human races, but really human species. Though it is uncertain where this type originated, some claiming Andalusia as uh, as the original habitat, and others Germany. The Berker folk may perhaps be identified with the Alpine or Aminoid branch of the Josephides or Indo-Europeans. The Alpine type is said to have the same round skull as the Beaker folk, except that it is rounded, um, octopal bone, whereas the beaker type has a flattened uh, occipital bone. Jeez. J. 
J.P. Mallory has recently suggested that the Beaker Folk may be classified as Northwest Indo-European group, ancestral to the Celts, Germans, Slavs, and Italics. However, it's not likely that they were a Northwestern people since the Northern Aryans are uh, duliocephalic rather than brachiocephalic. Also, even the corded wear culture of Northern Europe seems to have been born by mostly dark-eyed, dark-haired people with a skin color that was somewhat darker than the average modern European. Now, I'm going to repeat that line for you, everybody. Okay? Also, even the corded wear culture of Northern Europe seems to have been born by mostly dark-eyed, dark-haired people with a skin color that was somewhat darker than that of the average modern European. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Also, even the corded wear culture of Northern Europe seems to have been born by mostly dark-eyed, dark-haired people with a skin color that was somewhat darker than the average modern European. Talide may thus have been more accurately in believing that there were of East Mediterranean stock. Right? Now, here's the thing. They're, they're over here saying darker than the average modern European. And they're believing that they were Eastern Mediterranean stock. Okay? In my mind over here, I think they're kind of um, trying to not give too much credit to, you know, going a little further, further down into Africa. Uh, because if you were to really, you know, I don't know, go into Africa, mostly dark-eyed, dark-haired people with a skin color that was, and they say somewhat darker than the average modern European, I mean, I, I've seen Italian people, and, and they're not dark. So that's the wording that we have to kind of keep in mind here. All right, darker than the than the average modern European, which is a just think about it. that's a weird wording to say. I mean, you you would you would see, you wouldn't go with darker because in my mind when I look at Italian people, Eastern Mediterranean people, they don't look dark to me, right? They look tan, but they're not dark. So I, I feel that, you know, because if you were to look into, and I'm going to, let's just say there's going to be a future live stream that I'm going to be covering that will be pretty controversial, um, but it, it will kind of push back a little bit on this idea that it was a Mediterranean stock. I don't think that's the case, but that's just me personally. A prehistoric earthware vessel, part of a beaker culture pottery, pottery group, dated in the early Bronze Age, Europe 1970 and 1470 BC. 
Almagro Gorbier has suggested that the Beaker folk were proto-Celts. Brachyoselfi uh, is indeed attested in some areas associated with the Celts, such as Central Europe and France. But it is perhaps representative more of southern Britonic branch of the Celts than of the northern. Further, it may be noted that the first uh, flooring of Celtic culture does not appear until the Nostat culture of the 9th century BC, though this may be derived from Urnfield culture of Central Europe, 1300 to 1700 BC. Okay, back to the Bible. Excuse me, sorry, I just wanted to get a little sip of a beverage. Okay, back to the Bible. If we resort again uh, to, if we resort again to the biblical account in Genesis 10, we know that the generations of Japheth are listed first in the table of nations, verse 2, even though Japheth is mentioned only second in the Javis version or third in the Presley version in verse 1 of Genesis 10. It is possible that the priority given to Shem in the first verse of Genesis 10 is due only to the need to exalt the Semitic race among the Hebrews who composed the Bible. If, on the other hand, one followed the Indo-Aryans, who may be identified with the Medes or Madai as eldest sons of Jasif, along, along with Gomer, the Cremarians or Celts, and Magog, the Magi or Iranians, and their veneration of the Vadis as the original wisdom of mankind. It will be necessary to regard Japheth as the first son of Noah and Shem and Ham as younger manifestations of the original Noah Sidian culture. Now, as we were saying, this you know this circles back to part one, where we kind of go into the genealogical tablet of Noah and essentially kind of saying that, and this is what I was kind of alluding talking about earlier about these separate races is that, you know, we, we look at Noah and after the deluge, after the great flood, you know, this restarting of civilization. But as we also know, this same story of the great flood has been told in many different worlds. I mean, many different parts of the world. I recently briefly covered um, in a live stream about India and their great flood story and how his name is, is Manu and not Noah. Um, so there seems to be um, one player 
who seems to be impacting various aspects of the of the world simultaneously. I, or I, I don't know if it's simultaneous. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes in terms of the the deluge. But you know, if we're going to look at Noah kind of re restarting civilization as a you know as a post-dynastic race after the deluge then we we kind of have to that's why we kind of have to infer about who were the um pre-dynastic races who were the pre-dynastic people what did they look like and if you look into the stories of you know and and you look into the the um the individual uh, bodies that are found in Peru and Bolivia uh, with red hair, long elongated skulls, and then what's going on in Europe, it, there seems to be something kind of going on there. So I'm just saying that, you know, I, I, I get where they're going when, it, when they talk about the dynastic race, because I think they're kind of alluding into the separate races of humans. But, you know, this is, this kind of jumps all around, but we have to keep in mind that the Bible also talks about spaceships and aliens. So, I mean, take all of this with a grain of salt, I guess, if you are a non-believer, but if you are a believer, then I would say expand your horizons a little bit. You know, here we have the genealogical table of descendants of Noah. And so, it, it, you, you know, you, you look into these uh, individuals and you look into the history of them, you start might, you might, you might, you you might start finding some very interesting and eye opening uh, connections and consistencies, and this is from the table of nations according to Genesis ten. If Joseph is indeed the elder son of Noah, it is still puzzling that there is very little archaeological evidence of the cultural development of this branch before the Hurrian, Semitic, and Hamitic ones of uh, of uh, Abad, Alm, Alam, Akkad, and Sumer. In the biblical table of nations, we know that the sons of Joseph listed in Genesis 10-2 are located mainly in Anatolia, and in the Balkans. Hmm. Interesting. The eldest son of Joseph called uh, Jephthah, called Gamer, representing the Sumerians or Celts, is followed by Magog, the Magi or Iranians, and Madai, Medes, and Javai, Greeks, and Tubai, and Tubi, and, no, and Tubal, uncertain. Uh, Mesich, the Episode Cappadocians, according to Josephs, and Tyras, the, Tra the Thracians, according to Josephs. So this is what I'm talking about, is like Noah's um, sons essentially re-establishing civilization post-deluge. And if you look at all of these brothers, according to Genesis 10, they, you know, established the Celts, they established Iranians, they established Greeks. It seems like they established, you know, Europe and, and, uh, and the Middle East. So, you know, who were the people pre that dynastic race? That to me is, is a, is a, a very important question that needs to be 
answer. Dodorus Siculus, uh, a Bibliothecal Historica, uh, volume 32, states that the Celts living close to the Black Sea were scattered as far as Scythia. Yeah, there we go. Whew. And the northernmost of these Celtic tribes were the wildest and most powerful, having apparently wandered across and laid waste the whole of Asia under the name of the Sumerians. Are the Chimerians? Chimerians, I think it is. They wandered across and laid waste the whole of Asia. Now, this is interesting because this ties into, um, I did a live stream a couple months ago about Celtic warriors that were mercenaries fighting in Egypt. And, you know, the, the whole question is, you know, you know how to, how the hell did uh, Celtic warriors get to Egypt and how did Egypt know about uh, Celtic warriors? So check, check that live stream out if you're curious about it. All right, now this is uh, Deodoro Sicilus as depicted in 19th century fresco. Now this is the historian, all right, interesting. Okay, Diodorus describes the Celts as being tall, blonde, and well-built, but he may be referring more particularly to the northern uh, Geodelic Celts, that is the Irish and Scottish. The southern Celts, however, seem to have been more conservative in their tradition since they still bear the original name of the race, Simri. Indeed, the priority of the Southern Celts appears also in the reference in the Parthenius of Nikia's Erotic Erotica uh, Pathemata to Celtine as a daughter of Britannus, whose name is borne by the Southern Celtic Britons. Who fell in love with uh, Heracles and gave birth to Celtus, who represents the Celts. Celts and <laughs> Celts and uh, Scythians. Although the Celts are generally considered Western or Central language speaking, Jesuits, Jesuits, the sons of Gamer, in the biblical table, in the biblical table of nations, indeed include Ashkenaz, the Scythians, who are Eastern Shatim language speaking Jephthites, Rifsan, uh, Paphlagonians, according to Josephs, and Thukram, Fivergin. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but. These are um, some tricky ones, so I apologize to my podcast listeners. <laughs> according to Joseph's or Armenians, according to Hypotius of Rome. 
you know, this AI art to the right is ridiculous. <laughs> the Celts and the Scythians are thus closely associated as is indicated in Strabo, who states the Greek authors of all the Northern populations of Scythians or Celto uh, Scythians also uh, Asaphroditus <laughs> of Thrace, fourth uh, century BC, refers to the legendary king Boreas as the king of the Celts, while in other authors he appears as a king of the Scythians. Through the Scythians are younger than the Sumerian, uh, the Chimerians. The close relation between the later Celts and the Scythians is further attested in the 4th century Irish Awusepta Na Annex, which states that Scythian king Phineas Farsuch traveled along with the Celt Goldiel Mac Ethior to Shinar, Sumer, to study the confused languages at the Tower of Nimrod and their devised the northern Celtic language, Goldiac, as well as the esoteric system of writing called Agram. This suggests that the Celto-Scythian race came into contact with the Hamatic and Babel and benefited at least linguistically from the Semitic-Hamatic culture of Mesopotamia. Whoa. And look at this the four races of the world according to ancient Egypt, a Libyan, Thumia, a Nubian, Nahasu, Asiatic, and Egyptian. An artistic rendering by Henrich Mano von Latulia based on the mural from the tomb of Seti I. Wow. For my podcast listeners, um, this, as it says, it depicts four races according to ancient Egypt, um, and you have essentially a um, a Libyan, so Middle Eastern, then you have a Nubian, so African, and then you have Asiatic, Ammonian, so that could be an Asiatic. I, I, I would assume that they're probably talking about a, like Asia. But I would also include like Eastern Europe in this, but but that's just me, um, and then Egyptian. So at the t at this time, these were the four races. But I I really do think that the Asiatic Amanu kind of covers European, maybe. But I don't know. That's the question. I guess the question would be like, who was occupying Europe at that time? Because this is, it says Asiatic, and that's Asia. There's nothing about European. So, that's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. I don't know what that means. But I'm all, I'm all here for it. I'm all here for it. All right. While the Scythian connection may help to explain the incidence of 
brachiocephia among the beaker folk, the importance of this affiliation is further highlighted by the fact that the beakers themselves are traceable back to the um, Yamnaya culture of the Ukraine. Whoa. Interesting. Well, I think we can kind of understand why Ukraine might be a little important to some people. But this is not that kind of live stream. Though it must be noted that the Yamana folks seem to have been genetically related to the Afasivion Afansavio as well. The Yamana dating from 3500 to 2800 BC. Yeah, just so you know, the pronunciation of some of these is going to change by each sentence. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> was the predecessor of the Hutt grave and the catacomb grave culture of 2800 to 2000 BC, from which the Indo-Iranian or Aryan Androvian culture 800 to 400 BC is derived. I will be doing an episode on that. That's going to be a very controversial episode. I am looking forward to it. The Androvo culture is also related to the Sintashta culture of the Southeast Euras, 2300 to 1900 BC, which may also have been Proto-Aryan Indo-Iranian, uh, which, which may also have been Proto-Aryan Indo-Iranian. Sintashta has recently been associated with the corded ware poetry of continental Northern and Eastern Europe. See what I was saying? This is roughly contemporaneous with the period of the Bell Beaker pottery in Southern and Central Europe and Britain. That's what I was inferring. I was inferring earlier when I was saying Asiatic that we could speculate that from Asia and from Eastern, from Asia, and like, we're, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, yeah, from Asia or even. I know it says Ukraine, but like I would almost venture to say like um, Siberia, Russia, farther, you know, further, further Eastern uh, Europe and Asia, because I mean, Russia is part of Asia. Uh, so, you know, imagine that they came from that area, traveled to Western Europe. And perhaps Ukraine is, you could almost say, was the birthplace for Western Europe that is today. That would be, <clears throat> that'd be pretty uh, freaky. And uh, I'm not associating with anything that's going on currently. We are talking history, ancient history here. So YouTube, um, that's, we're not talking about anything in the modern era of Ukraine. Just talking hundreds and thousands of years ago. But this is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I did, I, okay, I did finish that. So I just, this is very interesting. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to talk so much about what's, where, where it says about the culture. Of, like, I want to talk about that. But I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to. I'm just getting my toes back on here. Don't feel like getting in trouble. But here we go. 
Nomads and the Coming Di Dionysus. At this point, we must know that the ancient Aryans or Indo-Iranians <laughs> seem originally to have been nomadic peoples akin to the Scythians, as is attested by the language of the old Avesta, wherein the cosmos is viewed as an enormous tent. We may remember also uh, Magathenus report that the Indians were in old times nomadic, like those Thysians who did not till till the soil, but roamed about in their wagons as the seasons varied from one part of Scythia to another, neither dwelling in towns nor worshiping in temples, and that the Indians likewise had neither towns nor temples of the gods, but were so barbarous that they wore the skins of such wild animals as they could kill. They subsided also on such wild animals as they could catch, eating the flesh raw, before at least the coming of the Dionysus into India. Dionysus, however, when he came and had conquered the people, founded cities and gave laws to these cities, and introduced the use of wine among the Indians, as he had done among the Greeks, and taught them to sow the land himself, supplying seeds for the purpose. It is also said that Dionysus first yoked oxen to the plow, and made many of the Indians husbandmen instead of nomads, and furnished them with the implements of agriculture, and that the Indians worshipped the other gods, and Dionysus himself in particular with symbols and drums, with symbols and drums, because he so taught them, and that he instructed the Indians to let their hair grow long in honor of the god. Interesting. Indo-Scythians pushing the Greek god Dionysus with Adrian in a chariot. God Hera. Oh boy. It's, see, this is where it gets very, very, very funny and fishy. Because it's like, you know, what are we what are we discussing here in terms of um you know, who who is this character? Who is this individual? You know, they're calling him a Greek god. But who who really who is he? You know is he Enlil? You know, is he is this is this an Anunnaki? You know, we, we gotta kinda ask ourselves these kind of questions. I mean I do. <laughs> Since Dionysus is the same as a Sumerian god An and the Egyptian Horus the elder Osiris, see what I just said? Uh, uh, you know, in, in the elder Osiris, it's, it's all there for you. It's right there. We may assume that the cultural contact being referred by the Magathenius is, the, is that between the earliest Syntho-Indian settlers in India and the Almite Proto-Dravidians Hurrians from the Zagros region. This suggests that the first Scythian Indians, who may have been Eastern and Southern Scythians, may have arrived in India before the rise of the Indus Valley civilizations, 3000 BC, which may have been founded by, by Almite, Dravidian, Hurrian peoples. 
Indeed, the first Proto-Indus settlements are observed in Magadag, in Mudagai, Afghanistan. Wait, what? Indeed, the first Proto-Indus settlements are observed in Mugadish, Afghanistan. There we go. Neighboring Alman around 3000 BC, corresponding to Genmite and Seer culture of Mesopotamia. The Kuli culture of southern Balagusians um, uh, also resembles early dynastic Mesopotamia, 28,000 BC, in its pottery. The presence of fish offerings to the deity, most probably Enki, What was I saying? What was I saying? The Sumerians, the Anunnaki, what was I saying? What was I saying? What was I just saying? Inky oh my gosh. In the ruins of the shrines in the most ancient temples at Eridu, which are, which are of pre-Urdic date, is matched by the ubiquitous presence of fish symbols on the seals of the Indus Valley civilization. This suggests the Indus culture is indebted to the earliest Proto-Davidian-Hurian religion of Alman and Ubad as the, Sum the Sumerian is. And if I remember, uh, Inki lived underwater in a temple. So there's, there's definitely some stuff going on there. The Scythian Celtic influence. Given the genetic nomadic nature of the Scythians, then it is not likely that, in spite of the influx of new Scythian Celtic race, the indigenous Mesopotamians, both Proto Derivian and Proto Akkadian, were indebted to the urban and temple building culture to this race, even if the latter may have contributed to the social and political organization. The new race and the Beaker folk may thus have begun their history as a Celtic and Scythian branch of Japhetic family in the Ukraine, which migrated through the Middle East as well at the time of the foundation of Urk and dynastic Egypt. While this group may have helped in the political organization of Mesopotamia, and Egyptian societies it came into contact with, it seems to have merged successfully with the original Hamatic religious cultures. In Europe, the same Scythian Celtic branch of Japhetites seems to have been responsible for the widespread beaker culture that laid the groundwork for the later Urnfield and Halstack cultures of the Celts. Wow. So this, it all, it all circles back to the Anunnaki in the end. That's what I, that's what I'm, you know, very, I'm surprised, but not surprised about that. In the end, it all circles back to the Anunnaki. This is this was to me. This is absolutely fascinating, 
and it, it really ties into a lot of what we're seeing currently going on in in the world in regards to you know a particular European country, uh, particular movements going on in the U.S. Um, certain things that uh, a recent rapper has said before getting canceled, um, things that Graham Hancock has said and Randall Carlson. Uh, there's a lot of things that are being revealed. And I, for me, it's fascinating. And this article has revealed so much that I wonder how many people really understand, like, the implications of what a lot of, of a lot of what has been written here that has been um researched and uncovered this is from 2017 so just imagine you know just just absolutely imagine what the implications of what this is is going to mean you know for people who really take that time to delve into these to the ancient history um, and it just, I, I feel like this further will, this further complicates the narrative that is being, um, designed to essentially erase our ability to, uh, inquire the truth. And within this article and the research and the data and history that has been presented we can you know safely speculate that uh more than meets the eye and like i said you know we have to really start reasserting or reassessing certain words and certain narratives and why those narratives are being told to us and why what they're what are they trying to hide what are they trying to obfuscate? What are they trying to elude from? And the more and more you look into it, the more and more you start realizing, oh, okay, the, uh, this is this goes much deeper. So I think what's really fascinating about um, you know the dynastic race part one and part two and all these live streams is that for anyone out there like who listens, uh, whether it's a live stream or it's the podcast, you know you're you're going to be provided with a lot of information that you can. Go and you know do your own research on, especially if you're someone of a of a, a biblical nature. If you're someone who practices any Christ, uh, Christianity, uh, Islam, you know any of the Judaic uh, Judaic Christian um, uh, practices, I think there is a lot there to be said, um, and especially for um, people who live in the Middle East and people who live in India. There is, you know, it's you know. There's so much here to be uncovered. And I, I like I said, it all goes back to the Anunnaki. It, in the end, it all circles back to the Anunnaki. And we have to really start wondering why. What's going on with the Anunnaki? They are everywhere. And the more and more I learn about them, the more and more I, I'm, I'm just starting to be convinced that, you know, we are just one of many experiments that have been um, uh, studied on this planet. And uh, I think, you know, some of the information that has been presented in this uh, article should give people an idea of where to kind of begin and where to start uh, asking questions in terms of 
religion, in terms of history, in terms of um, society. Because uh, we're, we're being lied to, we're being misled, and uh, we need to start asking questions of ourselves, and we need to start doing that research of our own accord, of our own uh, volition, of our own free will, and you know, make our own decisions based upon the research that we do. Because we're all very smart and capable humans. And, you know, there are many people out there that do not want us to uh, utilize our capabilities and to understand uh, the origins of our capabilities and the origins of our individuality and of our humanity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Ronin. All things, everything. And if you made it this far, Please make sure you hit that like button and ring that notification bell and subscribe. And until next time, stay positive, stay focused, stay true, and much love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lounge Ronin. To learn more about myself and how you can support Lounge Ronin, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. If you're interested in reaching out, follow me on my social media on Twitter, Ronin Art and Music, or at me at Kios Ronin, K-O-I-O-S-R-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, follow me at Ronin Art underscore music. And if you prefer, hit me up at my email at Ronin Art and Music 09 at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and a review and slap that notification bell. On Apple Podcasts, please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true and much love.